Is God pleased with your faith? I was at a Kyle event and on the way back, we, we saw this huge accident. Like there was all this tape and there was like a ton of cop cars around there. And like, as we were driving by one of the friends I was with, she said, wow, I hope that someone we know. And I got home and I kind of was, it was already late. Like I think like 10 o'clock. So I just was getting ready for bed. And I maybe like 30 minutes passed or an hour. And I started kind of, you know, of course start to freak out a little bit because I was like, well, why isn't he answering? And I could see his location on my phone. And it said he was here at our apartment. Like, I feel like something's wrong. Like Austin isn't um, responding to me. And it's been like an hour already. And, um, and then I called Steven to see if he knew where he was. I was driving and I see a bunch of like cop cars and ambulances. And right then and there, I kind of knew like in my heart that, oh man, that was Austin, you know? I walked up. And I asked them, um, yeah, my, my, we haven't been able to get a hold of my friend. I just want to make sure this is not him, you know? And they, they come back to me and um, they, they confirmed that it was him. And they just told me that like, he was in critical condition, that um, they, they had to rush him to the hospital. At that moment, I just thought that I had lost my friend and I was just, totally heartbroken. They never told me that he was gonna die, but they also never told me he was gonna live either. But I always had friends there with me that, you know, they told me like, like we will have faith for you because we know that it's hard for you to have any faith right now. He was never by himself. I think I, think I can count maybe one time or two times that he was left by himself. I knew at one point that I needed to trust in God no matter what happened. And I trusted that we had friends that were gonna be praying for them. Um, like Olivia, like Sarah, being there for Veronica, coming and just like throwing away their life and being there with her. Been in the ICU for a long time now. And just wanna tell you, I miss you a lot. Been trying to make sure that your wife was okay. I've been really trying and she's been very strong through this. Uh, I don't necessarily know why I'm poloing you, but it just helps me. I learned that your true friendship is tested when you have to walk into Mordor and kind of bear another's burdens and be there for that person. And that's only through the love of Christ. But that's only Christ in us that gives us the will to do that and love one another the way all of our friends loved Austin and Veronica. Yeah. On Sunday night, September 8th, Austin was hit by a drunk driver while he was walking on the sidewalk. He has no life-threatening issues, but he is in critical condition. He has a compound fracture in his left tibia, shin bone, and a fractured femur on the right leg, the thigh bone. The orthopedists already put rods in both these areas. He still has many fractured ribs and is on a breathing machine with a tube in his mouth. Austin and his wife, Veronica, have a very long road of healing, more surgeries, and physical therapy ahead of them. They have only been married for four months. She's been strong, but this is so overwhelming. 
Please join us all in praying for Austin and Veronica for healing, strength, and continued improvement in recovery. That's the post that many of you, many of you all here read a few years back when I was hit by a drunk driver. Uh, I was running on the side of the road near our apartment at night like I often did, and uh, I was hit by a car. Uh, the driver was drunk. They were doing about 60 miles an hour. Uh, immediately, just like the post said, uh, broken ribs, broken back, fractured face, broken legs, my right and left leg. And so when they first took me to the hospital, uh, the goal was to stabilize me. The goal was to get things under control, stop bleeding, and put rods in my legs like the post said. Uh, but as many of you know, I, very shortly after, I started to develop life-threatening issues. The breathing machine that I was on to keep me alive because I had a collapsed lung, actually, I, I developed a form of pneumonia from it. And uh, they had to put me into a medically induced coma for some time. And while I was in the coma, uh, they were doing breathing treatments on me. They were doing bronchoscopies where they would remove, remove mucus from my lungs. And uh, the whole time, I was not able to breathe on my own. Yeah, but slowly but surely, the pneumonia went away. And then it came back. And it came back a third time. And so for about a month and a half, I was in the ICU, not able to move or to, I wasn't conscious, I wasn't aware of what was going on. And daily, my wife was there uh, by my side, spending the night in the hospital, just waiting for updates, waiting for any news of some kind of progress, and it, it didn't come. It didn't come. I was just there, waiting, waiting, waiting for God to answer, waiting for the physicians to find some way for me to become healthy and better. And so a month and a half went by in a coma, and I've started to be able to start breathing on my own again. And so that led to another month where I began to become conscious again. And because of all the heavy sedatives and painkillers that they had to have me on, that whole month I spent weaning off these medications. And they said I was like an infant in a grown man's body where I would throw myself everywhere and I tried ripping off the tubes and the wires that were on me to help me stabilize and be okay. And, uh, and it was extremely overwhelming for my wife and the people that were close to me at that time. It was extremely overwhelming for my parents. It was extremely overwhelming for my in-laws and the family I love. So about two months had gone by between being hit on September 8th and then really waking up about early November. There was two months I have no memory of. I think that's why they made that video, just to kind of give me some information about what happened. Um, that started about another month once I woke up where I needed to learn to eat again, where I was responsive, but I still really couldn't move. And uh, that was extremely difficult. And after that month, I spent another month in the hospital learning how to walk and stand and move around again, uh, and learning how to stretch out my legs, learning to move. and, and uh, even after that point, we had spent four months in the hospital, there was another about six months where every single day I went to physical therapy, every single day I was learning how to walk again, I was learning how to do normal things again, uh, and finally, after about a six, seven-month period, I was better again. Jesus had kept me. Jesus had healed me. Praise God. And... And I remember my very first time coming back to staff meeting and, you know, everyone's crying, as you can imagine, and everyone's so happy to see me alive and I'm coming in on my walker and I had the pleasure of being able to say, y'all, there were no handicapped spots. 
let's make some room for me, but they all loved it. But, but Jesus kept me, and because of so many great physicians and healthcare workers keeping me alive, I'm here before you today. Because of all my friends being with us and praying for us, I'm here today. And I tell you all this in such great detail because when we go through hard times, it becomes clear whether we serve God and love God because of what he gives us or just out of who he is. Do we serve and love God because of his hand in our life and the circumstances and the blessings that he provides? Or do we love God simply for who he is, the wonder of a person he has? Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. Verses 1 through 8, if you want to pull out your Bibles. The Bible is the Word of God. It is the Word of God that you and I might know Him. And I'm pleased and privileged that today we get to go through one of my favorite stories in the Scriptures, a a story I can relate to. We're going to be looking at the story of a paralytic, a paralyzed man. It's pretty ironic they gave me that one. But uh, I'm excited to go through the story with you. Jesus is very much starting up His ministry. His ministry is threefold. He came to preach the gospel, heal the sick, and make disciples. And so we're going to be looking at a story of healing, Jesus healing the paralytic. And so if you're with me in Matthew chapter 9, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. So he got into a boat and crossed over and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power, authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. So we have this wonderful story of a man. In the other Gospels, they give us a a greater picture of what it looked like, but a man who was paralyzed, and four other men had carried him to Jesus. They actually carried him to this house, and this house was so full of people that were trying to get to Christ that there was no way for them to get in. And so the only way for this paralyzed man to get in was these men had to bring him up on top of the roof, start tearing open the shingles, and they were lowering him to get in the presence of Jesus. And so once the paralytic is before Christ, the Son of God says, son, your sins are forgiven. And then it starts this incredible discourse between uh, uh, these religious leaders being upset that Jesus is forgiving sins and Jesus talking about his authority. And at the end, the conclusion of the story, we see this paralyzed man is healed. The layman walks. Now, if you read this story, if you hear this story and all you think is, I wonder what God can do for me, you've missed it. You've missed the point of the story. If you hear my story and all you think is, Wow, that's incredible. He should be dead. I wonder what God can do for me. You've missed the point. Everybody wants God's hand, but very few people want his heart. Everybody wants God's hand, but very few people want his heart. 
Everyone wants God's blessing and favor and his hand on their life that they might bless their marriage and their finances and their circumstances and their career. But very few people just say, God, I want to be close to you just because you're wonderful. Just because you're a spectacle to behold. You're a wonder to know. And so Jesus, when this man is brought in front of him, this man is seeking God's hand to heal him, right? But Jesus instead offers this man his heart. And so Jesus, seeing this paralytic that wants to be healed, says, son, son. He identifies him as having relationship with, with Christ. He respects him. You see that the Bible says that God has placed eternity into the heart of men. That means that only something eternal can satisfy your longings and mine. Only something eternal can satisfy the longings and the desires and the cravings of our heart. And so when this man is brought before Christ... Jesus addresses his son saying, I want to fulfill those cravings. I want to fulfill those deepest desires that nothing else can fulfill, only Christ himself. And so you have to ask yourself, well, why does he say your sins are forgiven? This is a paralyzed man brought before the son of God. Why is his first thought, let me deal with your sin? Why doesn't Jesus go, I love you. I have a plan for your life. Let's be close. I, I want to be close. Why does Jesus go right to his sin? There is only one thing that'll ever keep someone from knowing God. There's only one thing in the universe that'll ever keep you or me from knowing God, and that's sin. And a good definition of sin is selfishness. That if our lives are bent around what we want and our well-being and our desires and us being number one, God can have no part of that. God is not able to make us happy apart from himself. And if he is a part of your life and mine, he must be number one. And so for Jesus to say, son, your sins are forgiven, is Christ saying, the only thing that's been in the way between you and me, I've removed. I've gotten rid of it. I want to be close to you. I want to be close to you. And it's really interesting to me that in this story, after Jesus says your sins are forgiven, the paralytic doesn't go, well, that's great. I'm, I'm glad we're close and my sins are forgiven, but can you heal me? <laughs> he, he, he doesn't ask that. I, I believe it's because that man is completely satisfied with this relationship that God had given him. He is completely satisfied so much so that he's like, man, if I get to know you and I'm, if I'm lame the rest of my life, praise God. I, I want to know you. I want to know you more than anything. And it's actually only when Jesus only turns back to the physical, his physical need when he says in verse six, that you may know, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so is your faith a what or a whom? Is your faith a something or a someone? And, and so in this case, in this instance, Jesus heals this man, but it's only so that you and me might know who he is and what he's really like. And this is happening all the time in the life of Jesus. Do you remember we just got through going through the Sermon on the Mount as a church, going through those three wonderful chapters in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And at the end of this great teaching, Gandhi says, the greatest teaching anyone's ever given, at the end of it, they don't marvel at what he said. They marvel at who he is. They marvel at who is speaking. Same thing when the disciples are in that boat and they're in that storm and the sea's rough and the storm's coming down and they wake him up saying, save us lest we perish. After Jesus calms a storm, they don't marvel going, man, that was great. Look what he did. They marvel at him. And so it's the same thing in this story. When Jesus heals the paralytic, the purpose of it 
is that he might know who Christ is. Jesus says eternal life is to know the only true God and his son, Jesus Christ, whom you have said. The Bible says that eternal life is to know him. It's to know him. That the fullness of our longings and our desires is in a relationship with God. And if our faith is secure in who he is, then it doesn't matter what circumstances we might face. It doesn't matter what our finances look like. It doesn't really matter what's going on in our life and the storm swirling us because the world is going to throw everything that it can at you to try to get you to doubt who God is. But if we know him, even outside of what's going on in our life, we're going to be secure. And so that's what Jesus is trying to give this man when he says, your sins are forgiven of you. Now let's turn to these religious people. So Jesus says, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And then in verse 3, it says, and at once some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. Now, why are they getting all bent out of shape? Why do they accuse Jesus in their hearts that he's blaspheming? It's because only God can forgive sins. And so for Jesus to be saying your sins are forgiven, he would be acting as if he is God. And so if we continue in the story, it says, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Can you imagine Jesus responding to your thoughts? <laughs> imagine thinking something. God's like, yeah, yeah, let me deal with that. Let me speak into that. I know what you're thinking. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and walk. And so in this little brief story, we have three incredible things happen. Jesus forgives sins as if he was God. Jesus reads people's thoughts as if he's God. And then he heals a lame man so he can walk as if he's God. It's like he really is God. And the conviction of the Christian faith is that Jesus is God. He says, I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall not perish, but they'll have everlasting life. And so Jesus, when he comes to this earth, he's not just some man. He's not just a good moral teacher. He's not just this this healer and worker of miracles. He is God in the flesh. And there's this wonderful discourse where Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? I believe God is asking that same question to all of us in this room this morning. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? If eternal life is to know him, whatever we answer that question, who do you say that I am, it's the most important thing about who we are. Now, if Jesus is really God, if he really is the authority who has authored life and he's upholding this universe by the word of his power and he's the judge that we're going to meet at the end, If Jesus is really God, is this a belief or is this a conviction? And there's all the difference in the world between a belief and a conviction. A belief is just an acknowledgement of a fact, right? Texas is big. Texas is hot. Those are facts, right? But a conviction is something you believe to be so true that it affects your will. A conviction is something you believe to be so true that it affects your will. And G. Campbell Morgan says that the only honest attitude in the presence of established authority is obedience. The only honest attitude in the presence of established authority 
is obedience. Jesus did not come here so that you and I can go to Facebook and go to the religious part and go, okay, religious, A, B, C, Christian. I'm a Christian. See, now everyone knows. That's acknowledging a fact. Jesus came that you and I might obey him. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I ask you to do? You see, when Jesus comes, it's not just so that you and I can go, yeah, he really did die for our sins. Fact, acknowledged. He came that you and I might know him and obey him. And furthermore, if we know him and we're obeying him, guess what? That means that you and I start to look more and more like him every day. We start to become like him. Our character becomes one with Christ if our will is bent on serving and loving him. So in this story, we already, there's a lot of wonderful things going on. We see God's heart being shown through God's hand. And there's these claims of who Jesus is, that Jesus really is God and he's divinity to be obeyed. But I want us to look at the story again. There are two miracles that happen in the story of the paralytic. Do you guys notice that? No? Yeah? Let's look at verse 2 again. There's another miracle. In verse 2 it says, Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. They brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Who brought to him? Who are these people? In the other, like I said, in the other gospel accounts, it says that there are four friends that carried this paralytic to Jesus. That's a miracle. That's a miracle that this man had friends without having blood relation or any obligation to help him. This paralytic had friends that were willing to carry him to Christ. That's a miracle. That is a miracle in this world. And it makes me wonder, what if this man didn't have friends? What if this paralyzed man didn't have friends? What if... This paralytic was so disappointed from so many years of different people disappointing him and letting him down that the paralytic was just, I don't want to tell anyone about what's going on. I don't want to let them know about my needs and my problems. I'll just, I'll just, I'll deal with it. It's okay. It's fine. Or what if these four men, instead of helping the man, were full of pride and just go, well, I don't want to carry him to Jesus. Let's just give him a pillow. We'll make him feel more comfortable, right? Or, or what if these four men started carrying the paralytic and they're getting to Christ and they're just, ah, I'm tired. This is a lot of work. I want to go home. Can we just set you down here? Is this close enough? <laughs> or, or what if the paralytic, he's being carried by these four men to Jesus and he just goes, you guys, I'm tired of inconveniencing you. I don't want to inconvenience you anymore. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so sick of being an inconvenience. Just, just put me down here. It's okay. We're, we're near the home where Jesus is at. This is close enough. This is good enough. If any of those what-ifs are true, if this man didn't have friends, there would be no miracle. There would be nothing to read in the Bible. There would be nothing to talk about today if this man didn't have friends. And I know what you all are thinking. You guys are thinking, this is the overall series. This is the series about Jesus having all authority. Well, he doesn't need friendships. He doesn't have to work through people. But the reality is that the fabric of our world is relationship that the center of the gospel is a reconciled friendship and the heart of God is community, three in one, the Trinity. And so God has expressly chosen to move and work through friendships. God has expressly chosen to move through friendships. That is always his preferred means, how we'd like to move and speak and act in our lives. 
by all means, I should be dead. Being hit by a car going 60 miles an hour, having respiratory failure for over a month, by all means, I should be dead. And, and that's a miracle that I'm alive, and I, I, I'm well aware of that. But you have to understand from my perspective, I don't remember being hit by a car. I don't remember being in a coma. All I remember was waking up. And, and there was my wife who hadn't left my side for one minute, who had dropped out of grad school so she could take care of me. All I remember was so many different friends flying from out of state, even to just pray for me when I couldn't talk to them when I was in the coma. I just remember waking up and finding out that our friends had started a GoFundMe to help us cover all the expenses we were accruing from the medical bills. I just remember my best man, Kyle, getting his boys together and having a Star Wars skit in my window just to make me feel better. I remember my friends staying with me when I was throwing up uncontrollably going through withdrawals and being with me when I had physical therapy and was trying to learn how to stretch my leg out again for the first time. That's what I remember. I remember Veronica's bridesmaids and, and, and maid of honor dropping their lives for months to support us and carry us to Christ when we couldn't do it ourselves. And so the miracle of what happened in my life, yes, I should be dead, but the miracle is a miracle of friendship, that all our friends came through for us. All our friends took care of us when we couldn't take care of ourselves. That's the miracle. The doctors and the people working the hospital, they always said they knew I was well-loved because I was never alone. They knew I was well-loved because I was never alone. What I want to ask today is, do you have real friends? Do you have people that you are carrying to Christ? Do you have people that you're letting carry you to Christ? Do you have real friends? And our, our culture waters down friendship, doesn't it? Our culture wants us to think that, you know, we can walk in on Sundays and, and get a taco and say, good morning, how are you? And you say good, and then they ask, how are you doing? You say good, and then you walk away, and that's friendship. That's friendly. I don't know if that's friendship. Or, or a culture wants to tell us, okay, well, you're, you have a friend on Facebook, and you see what comes up on the feed, and you see the photos and life updates, and they can like stuff. That's friendship. That's not friendship. That's, that's spectatorship. That's witnessing something from the outside. And, and it's, it's a mockery of what God intended friendship to be. Do you have friends that ask you how you're doing? And then you tell them, good, you know, be polite. And they go, okay, how are you really doing? And then you start kind of tiptoeing around what's actually going on. And then they ask you again, okay, so how are you really doing? And you start vomiting all the stuff that's really going on in your life. Do you have friends like that? Do you have friends that you can hang out with one day for, for all hours and then they make dinner for you and everything? And then the next day, they're happy to have you over again, back to back. Do you have friends like that? Do you have friends that you are really living life alongside? That's what God wants for you. That's what God's always wanted for all of us here. He's always wanted us to have friendships in a community. We're all built and wired to be seen and heard, to be known and understood, to be interpreted rightly. And that only happens through friendship. That's the only way that it happens is through friendship. And maybe you can't honestly answer yes to do you have real friends? And I know there's a million different reasons why. Maybe some of us have pride. We don't really want to let other people in. We just want to keep them arm's length and say niceties and politeness. Or maybe you really have been hurt by a friend in the past and you're, because of that hurt and disappointment, you don't want to let people back in. Or maybe you just don't have time 
the truth is we make time for what we count as important. We make time for what we count as important. And if we're not making time for people to be close to us, we're keeping God at an arm's distance away where I don't really want to be close to you. I don't really want to be close to you. Having friendship, Christian friendship, people bringing you to Christ and you bringing them to Christ, that is one of the great things that we're saved for. Before walking with God, we're so quick to be hurt and bitter and misunderstood and misunderstand them and there becomes tension and fight. But if Jesus has really cleansed you from sin and healed you of hurts and bitternesses, we're able to see each other properly and have fellowship with one another. Friendship is the great thing in this world and this time that we're saved for. And God wants it for us. If you can't answer yes to having real friends, having real friends in Christ, there's, there's only one really simple response. If you want a friend, be a friend. If you want a friend, be a friend. We make things so complex, don't we? I met this person, let me add them on Facebook, and then I'll start you know, DMing them and maybe something will happen. Or we get someone's phone number and, and we're like, oh, I wanna hang out with them, but I'll wait for them to contact me. You know, I don't wanna inconvenience. We make things so complex, so silly, so convoluted. If you want a friend, be a friend. And so right now in this service, right now in this auditorium or online, I want you to feel free to do whatever you need to do to be a friend to somebody. If you want a friend, be a friend. Maybe you've been coming and God's been speaking to you during the services and that's wonderful, praise God. But there's, there's someone that you keep seeing in the lobby or in the auditorium in the cafe and you're like, man, they seem really cool. I'd like to get to know them. Right now, I want you just to stand up and go find them, go get their phone number, go talk to them. Maybe you've been going to small group and it's been wonderful and God's been revealing things to you but you still go home at night and you feel lonely and you feel like you're not understood and you're not seen or heard. Well, right now, I want you to take out your phone and shoot that small group leader or your friend in small group a text and just say, hey, can I take you out for lunch on me? If you want a friend, be a friend. Serve your small group leader, see what happens. And if this is your first time or one of your first times, I want you to know that Gateway is not just a church of small groups, but we are a church of small groups. So we're not a church that does small groups. We are a church of small groups. That our church is not an organization. It is an organism. We are a community and a fellowship. And so right now we're actually going into a month of rest for small group leaders. So it's really interesting. This is what I'm pitching. But what I want you to know is if you want a friend, be a friend. You can go outside out into the den just outside the auditorium after this and grab a small group card, reach out to them. I know it's rest month, but they'll, they'll reach back out to you. Or go onto the website and look through the small groups and pick one that seems like it might be a good fit for you. But the, the main point is, if you want a friend, be a friend. Don't wait for someone else to come after you to put your needs before their own. You do that. You take that responsibility. Amen? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you've invited us not just into relationship with you, but into relationship with one another. God, and there's so many of us in this room right now, this Sunday, that we know you, you've been speaking to us, but there's still loneliness in our heart, there's still fear in our heart, there's still pride in our heart. And God, you want to do a miracle in our lives through friendship. 
God, you want to rid us of sin through friendships. You want to speak into our marriages through friendships. You want to reveal to us the callings on our lives through friendships, God. And I just pray we all have the willingness and courage to be vulnerable enough to reach out and be a friend to another. God, would you fill us with your spirit that we might love each other well the way you've loved us. Jesus, we honor you and we thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.